you're back. We hope you enjoyed that last segment. We don't normally do things like that, but we are planning in the weeks to come to do a little bit of it on each show so that those of you who are maybe not familiar with what we've been doing here for the past few years might, uh, might catch up. We try to be practical on this program and give you tips about things you can actually do to make the world a better place. Of course, we think a lot of the battle is just getting correct information out there. There's a lot of propaganda circulating. And if your data isn't any good, your solutions probably won't be any better. You know, garbage in, garbage out. New Scientist magazine had an article worthy of note in their February 20th issue. The magazine notes that a little information is a dangerous thing. A lot of information, if it's accurate or confusing, is even more so. New Science has set out to analyze whether public perceptions of companies' green credentials reflect reality. And uh, they discovered that many companies considered to be green have done little to earn that reputation, while others do not get sufficient credit for their efforts to reduce their environmental impacts. They note that at present, it's too easy to make unverified claims. For example, disclosures of greenhouse gas emissions. There's voluntary schemes such as the Carbon Disclosure Project, but there's little scrutiny of the figures that companies themselves submit, which means investors may be misled. The magazine teamed up two companies that collected data on this. EarthSense from New York had polled U.S. consumers on their perceptions of the greenness of various companies. Meanwhile, in London, True Cost compiled an unparalleled quantitative assessment of companies' global environmental impacts. The two data sets were brought together, and it was shown that overall there was no correlation between the EarthSense and TrueCost scores, suggesting that U.S. consumers have little idea about companies' environmental performance relative to one another. To do this sort of thing properly is not easy, and the article points out it may not get any easier in the future because companies are naturally going to not want to disclose information that they just assume you didn't know about. But uh, there's certainly a crying need for this, and we, uh, we hope that new scientists and others will continue to uh, bring us better data. Speaking of environmental data, there's a battle going on for uh, the hearts and minds of the American public on uh, the issue of global warming. We hope to bring James Hansen, environmental scientist, on this program in the future. He has a long essay, or he had a long essay in the December 14th issue of Newsweek in which he states, I believe the biggest obstacle to solving global warming is the role of money in politics, the undue sway of special interests. Notes Hansen, President Obama does not get it. He and his key advisors are subject to heavy pressures, and so far the approach has been, let's compromise. Adding, I'm sorry to say that most of what politicians are doing on the climate front is greenwashing. Their proposals sound good, but they're deceiving you and themselves at the same time. Noting politicians think that if matters look difficult, compromise is a good approach. Unfortunately, nature and the laws of physics cannot compromise. They are what they are. Henson believes that nine years ago when he spoke to Vice President Dick Cheney's cabinet-level climate task force, he thought that we were going to be okay until the CO2 levels in the atmosphere reached 450 parts per million. He now thinks that uh, that number should be 350 parts per million, and we've already passed the mark. He believes that a reduction, which can avoid disaster, is still practical, but just barely, and that it requires a prompt phase-out of coal emissions plus improved forestry and agricultural practices. He closed the article noting, when you learn of lightly publicized agreements with Canada for a pipeline to carry oil squeezed from tar sands to the U.S., 
when the president advocates an ineffectual cap-and-trade approach for controlling CO2 emissions, when our government funnels billions of dollars to support clean coal while treating next-generation nuclear power almost as a pariah, you can recognize right away that our government is not taking a strategic approach to solve the climate problem. He closed by saying, therefore, it's up to you. As in other struggles for justice against powerful forces, it may be necessary to take to the streets to draw attention to injustice. Civil resistance may be our best hope. We hope it doesn't come to that. But a hell of a lot of money is being poured into public relations firms. And uh, the very nature of how the problem is being framed shows a great deal of ingenuity by those who would like us to talk about climate change, not global warming. Climate change just sounds so much better, doesn't it? I'd like to quote from a web posting by Jeff Masters, founder of the internet site Weather Underground, to excerpt the article. In 1954, the tobacco industry realized it had a serious problem. Thirteen scientific studies had been published over the preceding five years linking smoking to lung cancer. With the public growing increasingly alarmed about the health effects of smoking, the tobacco industry had to move quickly to protect profits and stem the tide of increasingly worrisome scientific news. Big Tobacco turned to one of the world's five largest public relations firms, Hill & Knowlton, to help. Hill and Knowlton designed a brilliant PR campaign to convince the public that smoking is not dangerous. They encouraged the tobacco industry to set up their own research organization, the Council for Tobacco Research, which would produce science favorable to the industry, emphasize doubt in all science linking smoking to lung cancer, and question all independent research unfavorable to the tobacco industry. The CTR did a masterful job at this, for decades, significantly delaying and reducing regulation of tobacco products. Jeff Masters notes that George Washington University epidemiologist David Michaels, who is President Obama's nominee to head OSHA, wrote a meticulously researched 2008 book called Doubt is Their Product, How Industry's Assault on Science Threatens Your Health. To fast forward in the blog, in 1988, the fossil fuel industry realized it had a serious problem. The summer of 1988 had shattered century-old records for heat and drought in the U.S. And NASA's Dr. James Hansen, one of the foremost climate scientists in the world, testified before Congress that human-caused global warming was partially to blame. A swelling number of scientific studies were warning of the threat posed by human-caused climate change and that consumption of fossil fuels needed to slow down. Naturally, the fossil fuel industry fought back. They launched a massive PR campaign that continues to this day, led by the same think tanks that worked to discredit the ozone depletion theory. The George Marshall Institute, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, Heartland Institute, and Dr. Fred Singer's SEPP, Science and Environmental Policy Project, have all been key players in both fights, and there are numerous other think tanks involved. He closed by noting that many of the same experts who had worked hard to discredit the science of the well-established link between cigarette smoke and cancer were now hard at work to discredit the peer-reviewed science supporting human-caused climate change. And we would note that, yes, it's true. It's many of the same public relations firms involved. David Michaels wrote in that book, Doubt is Their Product, The industry understood that the public is in no position to distinguish good science from bad. Create doubt, uncertainty, and confusion. Throw mud at the anti-smoking research under the assumption that some of it is bound to stick. And buy time, lots of it, in the bargain. Anyway, 
We can't promise that we're going to get Dr. James Hansen on the show, but we are going to try, and uh, I, I wouldn't bet against it. All right, we got about three minutes left, so I want to talk about uh, Vanity Fair, a magazine we quote from a lot on this show. Sadly, because some of the best political reporting we've seen in the past few years turns up in Vanity Fair. We're quite knocked out by the current issues article titled Studio Head, The Greatest Story Never Told. And it author William Stadium reveals how he almost wrote uh, what might be the definitive tell-all book of Hollywood based on uh, the life of John Peters. John Peters' story seems impossible even by the standards of Hollywood fantasy. He went from being Barbara Streisand's hairdresser to the head of Sony Pictures. I knew I was going to like this article when Stadium revealed early on that uh, John Peters told him, as they were attempting to collaborate about this new book, quote, I've never really read a book, but have I got stories? We've worked that joke so many times on this program when an author like, let's say, Jim McMahon or Sarah Palin produces a book. We always say, it's our belief at Radio Parallax that before you write a book, you really ought to read one. And here it is in black and white. John Peters was sitting down to think about writing one, and he's yet to read one. And here's the amazing part. Apparently, he wasn't exaggerating. Apparently, John Peters, like George W. Bush and Arnold Schwarzenegger, is not what you would call a reader. Anyway, it's a book that will probably never be written, but should be. We hear the three books about Hollywood that are kind of must-reads, unfortunately none of which I've read, are What Makes Sammy Run, You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again, and The Kid Stays in the Picture. And homework we're assigning ourselves is to read all three and talk about them before the year's out. Final item, also from Vanity Fair. One-page article about the inimitable Don Rickles, which author John Heilpern closed with the famous Frank Sinatra story. Rickles told him, it's a true story, so help me God. Sinatra was headlining, headlining at the Sands, and I was with this girl having dinner in the lounge. She wasn't anybody I'd bring home to my mother, but I really wanted to score big. Frank was in the lounge at the table with Lena Horne and some other celebrities and all his security guards. And my date says, my God, there's Frank Sinatra. Do you know him? I said, sure, he's a friend of mine, which he was, but I made it sound like it was my whole life. We're like brothers, I said. <laughs> she didn't believe me. So I said, wait here, sweetheart. I went over to Frank's table. What do you want, Bullethead? He said. That was his nickname for me. I told him I was trying to impress this girl. Would he do me a very big favor and come over and just say hello? He says, for you, Bullethead, I'll do it. So five minutes later, Sinatra strolls over and says, Don, how the hell are you? Rickles looks up and says, Not now, Frank. Can't you see I'm with somebody? Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Come all right, that about does it for today's program. This show was produced, as they all are, by Mr. Edward McMillan. Next week, we'll be speaking with Jefferson Morley, former reporter for the Washington Post, about his interesting findings in the area of intelligence. We'll also talk with local radio legend Phil Cowan about his adventures in TV land back in the 1980s. You think Conan O'Brien's had it tough? Phil has some remarkable stories. Be sure to tune in for that. 
I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We may have a thing or two to say about some of this media stuff on next week's show. I don't know. We'll have to see. I'll be holding you so very near You might even hear A whole gang of cheers Just because we're together Weather-wise, it's such a cuckoo day You just say those words And we'll take our birds down to Acapulco Bay It's so perfect for a flying honeymoon Oh, babe, come fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly. Pack up, let's fly away. And don't tell your mama. <laughs>